Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome into the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we are analyzing the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. So we're a little late to this. Uh, it turns out the NBA scheduling department does not care about when an analytics podcast releases normally. So the uh, <laughs> last episode, we recapped the second round of the playoffs. Go back and listen to that one if you hadn't. Um, it covers on the uh, the main storylines that I think that the media should be hitting, but they unfortunately are not. But that's why I'm here. So uh, let's get into it. Let's we're not going to preview the the conference finals because at this point, Denver's up 2-0 versus the Lakers. And also the Heat are up 1-0 versus the Celtics. They're about to play. Uh, the game actually might have started <laughs> while I'm recording. But let's talk about the Eastern Conference Finals bef- like first before we get into the Western because there's a little bit more there to talk about. But I, you know, if you've listened to this podcast, I have thought the Heat have been a pretty good team all year, but I thought they were going to lose in the first round, thought they were going to lose in the second round, and uh, I think they're going to lose here in the third round. If the Heat make the finals, I think if the Heat make the finals, that would actually be crazier than when they made it in 2020, which was one of the like more bizarre dark horse runs where I was like, I can't believe this is happening because they lost Tyler Hero in the first round to a broken hand. And it's again, not that Tyler Hero is the best player in the world, but like he does move the needle some and he is one of their offensive creators. So a heat team that already does not have a ton of offense because basically the way they're built is like Jimmy Butler is their best player. And you're like, all right, that's pretty good. Then they have Bam. And you're like, all right, that guy's pretty good, but the, his strength is more on defense, not offense. He's an okay offensive player. He's not bad or anything, but he's not a great offensive player. And then Hero was their third, and he was, uh, you know, I think last year he was, was he sixth man? I can't remember. I never remember who wins the awards or not, but I think he might have been the sixth man. Whatever. The point is he can create his own shot. He's a good three-point shooter, not a great defender, but has that, like, shot creation to him that is valuable. And then after that, like the rest of the Heat roster is like solid, but there's like some problems in the way they were built. Whereas like Kyle Lowry, they traded for him in his like mid, what is he, like 36 at this point. He's he's very old. He's not as good as he used to be. He's making like $30 million a year. So they had like a couple problems where like Lowry wasn't the impact player they thought they were going to get when they acquired him because just the aging curve came a little early. 
And then they also had Duncan Robinson, who I really liked and had sort of fallen out of the rotation, probably had his confidence messed with a little bit with like the, the, the playing time that started to become spotty. And then he eventually was just on the bench and his three point shooting took a dive. But now he's back in the rotation. He's playing again. But the problem was the Heat had 30 million in Lowry and I think like 18 million dollars in Duncan. And like they weren't getting a ton of value out of like almost 50 million dollars on their roster. Again, Lowry was like a pretty solid player. His defense has remained pretty good, but just not like that bigger needle mover player that they were hoping for. But they go on this big playoff run. Jimmy Butler obviously has been like otherworldly, like, you know, in the running for maybe the the best player in the playoffs or second or third or whatever. He's he's up there. Bam has been very good. Bam's always like taken a step up in the playoffs and performed better. That's been great. And then just like the depth of the Miami Heat have, has been really good. Kyle Lowry has been good. Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Cody Martin. Or what is it? Cody or Caleb Martin? It's one of the Martin twins. <laughs> uh, and it's one of those things where we don't talk about Gabe Vincent a lot. <laughs> we don't talk about Struess a lot, but like they're like, they're solid NBA players. I guess that's how I would describe them. Like they're not like, there's not some secret thing where Gabe Vincent is, is phenomenal and nobody knows it. Like, I think he's like a solid NBA player and he's on a good team. That's well coached. And I will say whatever I, <laughs> I forgot. And right here, just a C Martin. Again, if you're going to have twins, don't have them have the same first uh, letter in their name. It's very, very confusing. Whichever Martin brother is on the heat, is a very good player. I think this has actually been a really big breakout, you know, run for him. Last year he was pretty good defensively, and I'm gonna have to look up his name because I think it's if I had to guess right now, Caleb or Cody. I think it is. I'm pretty sure it's Caleb Martin. You can probably hear my mechanical keyboard in the background. Caleb Martin. I was right. It was Caleb Martin. Uh, Cody Martin's his brother. <laughs> uh, but Caleb Martin, he was a pretty good year last year. Had a pretty good deal, LeBron. And then this year, you know, the same solid as a, as a player in the rotation. And then this year in the playoffs has really taken off and performed well. And I talked about him on a previous episode. I really like him a lot. I think he, for me, has been the breakout player of the playoffs. I'm trying to rack my brain to think if what I'm saying. Oh, Rui. Rui Hachimura on the Lakers has been quite good as well. I'd say those two guys, because every year it, it feels like there's a couple guys that are not household names that perform very well in a playoff stretch. And like before that, it's like, oh, yeah, no, yeah, I've, I've seen this guy here or there. He, he gets some minutes or scores like, you know, has a 15, 20 point game every once in a while. And you're like, oh, yeah, that guy's that's might possibly a nice player. But I feel like Rui and uh, Caleb Barton have been two of the more. Uh, intriguing breakout players. I'm just trying to think a little bit more. Has there been anyone else? There's been a fair amount of disappointments in the playoffs that I can think of, but I think that's one of my big takeaways is that Caleb Martin is like, I don't know. I'm like, is Caleb Martin a top 100 player in the league? Like possibly because basically how it works is uh, when I made my top 75 list, there's like about 70 ish guys that move the needle for me. And then after that, from like 70 to like 140, we'll say, there's a lot of players that don't have that much distance between them. Where 
if a half a season goes by or a full season goes by, those players from 70 to 140 shuffle around constantly. So it's really, really hard to get a feel for where those guys are because they are not in building block roles, right? So they're not going to have like the crazy huge load most of the time. A lot of these players will be on... Well, actually, it's a mix because some of them are this is what makes it kind of confusing. Some of them will be role players on good teams where like Caleb Martin is a role player on a good team, Miami. And other players will be like Terry Rozier in Charlotte. Well, like the scoring's a bigger part of their game. They kind of get slotted up higher in the team because the team just has to try to get to 100, 110 points every night. And their role is maybe different than what it would be Uh, at their most optimized on a team where they're contributing to winning. So it makes comparing these players really, really confusing. And then oftentimes you see like Kyle Kuzma goes to Washington and his offensive load increases and his points per game increase and like some other indicators increase as well. But like there's still issues where it's like, no, I know he's scoring 20 points a game more, but I'm not exactly sure how much better he's gotten. Because he went from the Lakers where like it wouldn't make sense to give Kuz the ball all the time, right? Because you have AD and LeBron and you know other players on the team. Now he goes to Washington and you're like, well, you know, we have Bradley Beal and Porzingis, but we need help getting to 110 points. Like that's the difference between really good teams and other teams in the league. It's like, how much help do you need getting to whatever the amount of points you're going to score at the end of the night? So uh, I, I think that's kind of the a takeaway for me in the playoffs, looking at players that have kind of surprised me. Struess is a, he was a good three point shooter. He's been good in the playoffs before. I think he's one of the better role players in the league. And he, he had a down regular season this year, but we've talked about a ton on this podcast. Like they have, they had a really difficult season, a lot of injuries, kind of people not in their ideal slot. And he's going to be a free agent. I'm interested to see where he goes, but all that being said, the heat are playing really well. I saw a really funny post. It was uh, after the game. There was it was like Jimmy Butler and some other Heat player went for like a handshake or whatever after the game. And then behind them, there were two other Heat players also going for a handshake. And they did it in perfect unison. And some Twitter account was like, this is how locked in the Heat are. <laughs> that was really funny. But also it's like this, this unit is playing greater than the sum of their parts. They're playing very, very good basketball. And I don't really understand how they've gotten this far. I feel like I've said it in every round. I still don't really understand it. But if they go to the finals or they lose, I don't know, whatever the, 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 whatever the outcome is, if you're looking for analysis on the heat of why things are happening, you're listening to the wrong podcast because I my brain does not work the way this team is working. And I just don't know. I'm trying to enjoy it now. I'm trying not to... Uh, Maybe yuck anyone's yum here, but uh, let's move over to the Celtics. I think the Celtics are going to win this series, right? They're down 1-0 to the Heat. They're playing tonight, but I love the Celtics' depth. I like the Celtics in this series. I'm trying to think of, like, would there be a caveat to where I would flip and I would lean towards the Heat? I can't really... I can't really think of one. I was going to say that the Celtics have the best player in the series with Jason Tatum, just because like, I don't know, that it was just like a, an automatic thing that I say sometimes where I'm like, oh, there's a player's name. He must be the best player in the series. And Tatum is a very, very good player. I think he's actually kind of hard to rank because me and Christian have talked about this on previous episodes where Tatum's really good 
at as like a catch and shoot shooter, I think he's really good. And then across the board, he's pretty good at everything. Like he can pass some, he can drive some, there can be some mid-range shooting. He's a really good defender as a help guy on ball, can generate some turnovers, can be, you know, sturdier near the rim. Like he's he's pretty good at everything, but he's not amazing at anything. And sometimes I describe Jimmy Butler that way. But one thing Jimmy Butler is really, really good at is playing in the playoffs. So it turns out if you're good at that skill, um, it's the most important one. So I actually think the Heat have the best player in Jimmy Butler in this series. And then after that, the Celtics have Jason Tatum. But then I, you know, you could make an argument. They're close that Bam is better than Jalen Brown. This is interesting. Ah, wait, hold on, hold on. I am, I am having. I'm having a realization here. Hold it. Do the Heat have two of the three best players in this series? Huh. Because if you heard my previous episode about Jalen Brown making second team All-NBA, that was crazy. That was nonsense. Nonsense. But, you know, you're playing in Boston. That's a big media presence. You're going to get some votes. Obviously, they had a really good year this year. Yada, 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 yada. But I think I'm going there. I'm thinking the Heat have two of the three best players in the series. Hold on a second. Can the Heat win this series? Am I changing my mind mid-podcast? All right, so one other thing in game one where, you know, it's, it's I, I keep saying it. I do not know how the Heat's offense is playing this well. And I look at the box score. I pull it up. Pretty funny. So Jimmy Butler, 35 points. And you're like, okay. 35 points, seven assists. That that's that's pretty darn good out of your best player. Then Bam, 20 points. And you're like, okay, that, that's that's a good game for Bam. 20 points. You know he's playing good defense. And then after that, it's like, hey, every time I'm like, how, how are the role players going to put this together? And I feel like a really good microcosm of the Heat's playoffs was the box scoring game one, where Gabe Vincent, 15 points. Max Struess, 15 points. Kyle Lowry, 15 points. And Caleb Martin, 15 points. They had four players on their team all score 15 points. Where it's like, here's the thing. None of these guys really got, like, for the most part, like, huge scoring games in them. But if you're going to get that kind of contributions from your non-star players, all of the sudden, like, you're a pretty dangerous team. Like, this is interesting. Hmm. Man, and I mean, and like we've talked about it all, all year. Like when you have Brogdon, you have Derek White, you have Marcus Smart, you have Al Horford. Like you, you have a lot of depth that can contribute as well, and they can also contribute. And I, I would maybe argue a, a larger multitude of ways, offensively and defensively. But man, I have really come to a come to the Heat culture moment, really, on this podcast. But hmm, if the Heat have the two best players in this series. I don't know. I don't know. They've been proving me wrong. Here's the thing. I hate being wrong. It's my least favorite thing. And at a certain point, I, I maybe I have to pick the Heat because I'm just tired of being wrong. They keep winning series. Uh, let's move on to we'll, we'll just kind of we'll put a put a pin in that. Is that what people say? We'll put a pin in that and we'll talk about Denver versus the Lakers. Uh, right now, Denver's up 2-0. and it's been kind of what you'd expect it to be. 
right? Uh, Jokic just played really, really well. The offense for Denver was really rolling in game one. Seemed pretty darn good in game two. We have seen the Jamal Murray experience, which is there are halves or quarters where he looks like a player that is lost. He just is is putting shots up. They uh, are normally not the easiest shots, and none of them are falling. And I mean, even in game one in the second half, all of a sudden it was there was a little flurry from him. And then in game two, he just gets white supernova hot in the second half there and puts the Lakers away where it was like it just felt like there was nothing when when a guy gets that hot and is as mobile as he is where like Jamal's ability to like his foot speed is quite high his quickness is quite high but also like his ability to like move laterally is pretty crazy so sticking with him when he's running around the perimeter especially around screens is really difficult and it's just one of those things where somebody gets that hot and there's just not a whole lot you can do. It's very, very difficult to deal with a player that is like that. And also Jamal Murray is like one of the best players in the league that fit that kind of stereotype. Where when I was ranking him, I think I ranked him like 40 something. Actually, I'm close to Aaron Gordon. Cause like it was hard. Cause like on one hand, Aaron Gordon is a two-way player. He's a plus on both ends. He is very versatile on defense, right? He can guard on the perimeter. He can come inside, really strong, big guy, can help with rebounding, a little bit of uh, uh, supplemental rim protection. And then on offense, you know, you can give him the ball and he can score. You can offensive rebound. He can shoot it a little bit. Like he, he can do a lot of things, really good cutter. And then Jamal Murray is a bad defensive player. Like you saw that in game one, a huge thing they didn't talk about where I know Rui guarded Jokic for like a quarter or a half or whatever. And everyone got really excited about that. But I would say even bigger, more important to the Lakers comeback was just every single play. They isolated Jamal Murray and they just overpowered him. It was LeBron multiple times. I think it was Rui a few times and they were just putting huge players on him. They were switching him on to ball, like through ball screens and he is not the greatest defender, and he is a pretty small guy, and he's just getting overpowered over and over and over again. So with Jamal Murray, the offensive explosions are really valuable and really useful, but in games where it doesn't happen, because it's not going to happen every night, because the thing is, like with players like that, that's not how they operate. And also, too, if they did operate that way, they would just be like a top 20 player in the league, because they would just be like this bombastic player averaging like 35 or 36 points a night on crazy efficiency. So I, I like those type of players on your roster because it gives you the uh, upside to be able to win any game. But there is the downside where it's like, well, it just wasn't Jamal Murray's night and he goes ice cold. That'll probably happen in one or two of these games in the series. And that's not me like hoping he's going to fail. That's just me being like, it's just the type of player he is. He's just a really big boomer bust guy. And he's been good. Jokic has been good. I feel like to, to script, Denver has you know played good offense. KCP had a good game. Michael Porter Jr. has contributed. And they've just looked pretty good. And on the flip side, the Lakers, I, I you know, I hate to I hate to go negative. I feel like we try to go positive most of the time here at Basketball Index. But the real issue with the Lakers in this series has been that LeBron has not been LeBron. And that's just, it's as simple as that. Like, has he been awful? No. 
but like has he played up to the kind of idea that we're expecting from him no and it's it's tricky because like he is older and we all kind of collectively know that because he's a player that's covered enough to where like you like I don't even have to say it pretty much everyone knows how old LeBron is right that that's something that's been beat to death but also the foot injury really hurt things there was a couple uh, fumble passes in game two obviously the Miss Duncan transition where it just flew out of his hands was not good but even in game one it was a decent look at the end he had Jamal Murray in isolation he took a pull up three and you know wasn't able to hit it and it's not the thing of like you have to hit every shot and I think that would have that would have tied the game late in the fourth I believe it would have tied the game it was a really close game when he took it and either would have given him a lead by one or tied I think it was tied but you know it rims out he doesn't go it's he doesn't hit it and whether he was trying to draw a foul with contact, whatever it was, it, it just didn't go in. And it's not that the star player has to hit every do or die shot because just they don't. They just don't do it. Like go back. I watched Kobe. Plenty of them he missed. Lots of them he made. Plenty of them he missed. So that was game one where it was like it felt like the troops rallied back into that game and gave LeBron a chance. Because when you're a star player, like I, I just talked about Embiid not saying this because you can't really say it especially when you're an older player and Bede's not that old but like older Kobe especially where it was like you just need your team to put you in position to give you a chance to win the game because the idea is you're a good enough player you maybe don't have the ability to impact the game as much in like a total units of of measurement right whether it's you know points plus rebounds plus assists whatever that is like you're not at your peak there anymore but if you have someone taking a shot at the end of the game, pretty much everyone's going to pick LeBron first, right? Or Kobe or whoever it is at the time. And he got that chance in game one, didn't hit it. And it's one of those things where it's like, I wish he would have, but he didn't. And then game two, it was a, a fairly close game. The Lakers, I think, were up like 10 midway through the third quarter. Things were going pretty well. And then all of a sudden, Denver went on a big run. And then Jamal Murray got really hot and the Lakers just weren't able to hang with them. And I think if you take a couple of those LeBron miscues out of the game, you know, and you just add six or whatever, eight points to the Lakers total, all of a sudden it's like maybe that's a Laker win instead of a Laker loss. And it's not like the Lakers have to be up two or they should be up two or in every other parallel universe they are up 0-2 or whatever. That's not the point. I just think that – criticism of stars is very very oftentimes not fair and i would say this is like mild yeah like mild criticism of lebron where it's like he had a chance in in game one and that's what you asked for as a star player didn't connect oh well and then in game two just a kind of a lot of flubs not a super crisp game uh i think one of the big takeaways is is rui hachimura for real is rui is playoff rui a real thing because what I assumed was going to happen, because I think it was early in the playoffs, he hit like five threes in one game or four threes. I don't think he missed. And it was like, oh, that that's not his game. Like he has a good mid-range pull-up. He can go to the rim a little bit. He's a big guy. He adds to a defense with like overall total size that is helpful and strength. But I, you know, I'm not really sure because Rui on Washington before he got traded 
his his overall stat line for the year is, is just okay. But if you go into the game logs where it's like, okay, there's like a couple big games here and there. Like, was was this like he's in year four? Is this him emerging? What's exactly going on? And then what I expected was, oh, he had a big game in the playoffs. That's awesome. Like, we, you want that out of your bench, guys. Then you have like another big game. And it was like, okay, uh, you know, he's going to have a big series. That's great. And then like he's continued on. It's the third round here. And he's still been playing at this high of a level where – there are like role players that go to have like good playoff runs. And then the next year, you know, whether or not they return to exactly who they were or a little bit better or whatever, like a, a multitude of options happen all the time where sometimes they're worse. Sometimes they're better. Sometimes it's for real. Sometimes it's not, you don't know. But when a player goes on a run that is three series long, you do have to start to dust off the cobwebs on like the, the Rui file. And you're like, do I need to make some changes here? Because some of the strengths are obvious. And then every once in a while you see the weaknesses. He didn't play a ton, I don't feel like, in the Golden State series. He's not the most uh, – he's an android. He's, if you look at him, he's huge. <laughs> he feels like a Terminator. <laughs> Me and my brother have a joke. It's like he's sent back from the future <laughs> because he's just huge. And, uh, you know, he needs a little oil in those hips. He's not the, the loosest mover. But when you're the size that he is – <laughs> like you're you're just not going to like be able to change directions three or four times on a play well but the thing is he did like one step and go like it's it's pretty impressive the overall strength like jokic is gigantic people don't like understand how big he is that like most of his game is like somebody asked me they were like oh because i know i'm a laker fan and uh they know all about the stats and stuff. They were like, so what are you expecting out of, out of Denver in the uh, series against the Lakers? And it's like, well, what's going to happen is they're going to like spread the floor with a bunch of shooters. They're all pretty good. And then Jokic is going to catch the ball at the elbow. And he's just going to repeatedly ram his shoulder into whoever's guarding him. And he will back them down all the way to the block. We're like, he doesn't even need to catch the ball in the post. He can catch the ball at the perimeter. And he will just bludgeon whoever is guarding him down to the block and like if you watch him like it it is very very physical but most of the time he does a good job not running straight through players chest and he does it by like kind of just taking like a foot at a time which is two things it shows really really crazy strength and control because it's hard to have someone on your back like that and be able to move them and then two it takes a tremendous amount of energy to do that like Back in the day, the idea was if you can make someone catch it out at the elbow, it's a post player, you're going to win because they're going to tire themselves out working you all the way down with stunts and double teams coming like that's really, really hard to handle. And Jokic can do it like seemingly on every play, which is absolutely crazy. So that's how I explained. I was like, he's going to catch it at the elbow and he's just going to beat someone down into the post. I don't know. AD doesn't matter. Like in 2020, I remember they had to play Dwight more Dwight Howard because he's bigger and stronger than AD because obviously AD was a little bit thinner back then, but Jokic, even not in his prime, was just such a powerful guy. So Jokic has been phenomenal. The Lakers have looked... Like, I think fine for being down 0-2. Uh, I, they obviously, it's a must-win coming up. Uh, could they come back in the series, maybe tied up 2-2 playing at home? Yeah. Or does Denver just run away with this and maybe sweep or win a you know 4-1? Uh, very possible as well. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to go against my heart here. I'm going to pick 
I mean, it's it's not a not a super brilliant pick here. They're already up 2-0. I think Denver's going to win the series in the West. And then coming back, you know what? I've I've talked myself into it. The Heat, with the two of the three best players in this series, are going to beat the Celtics and upset them. I haven't been super high on the Celtics all year. The problem was with last year and this year, their high-end offense isn't isn't blowing me away. And you could say, well, Taylor, that doesn't make sense. Look at their offensive rating for the season. And they are a very, very good team. And they have a lot of a lot of depth. They brought in Brogdon to help with the ball handling and the scoring, which I thought was a really good move. But the problem is if you just match up Tatum and Brown's scoring ability, I guess scoring, playmaking, just total offensive output, it's just not like, how do I say this? It's not as dynamic as other top options. I think that's how I would describe it. There are other top options that are more dynamic than I am more scared of. I guess that would be. Because like secondary options for playmaking and scoring in Brogdon and Derek White, really good. Like that's that's really good. I think I would imagine if you were to take your you know, your, your fifth and sixth or whatever you want to call them players uh, on just their ability to create something on offense, maybe score, maybe pass, whatever it is. Like Brogdon and Derek White are, it's one of the best duos I've seen of like non-star players that can make things happen on offense. But in the playoffs, those players are a little bit less valuable. Those are more valuable in the regular season. They're still good in the playoffs, but I just am a little scared if I have Tatum and Brown in the fourth quarter. Now, here's the thing. Brogdon and White really help in quarters two and three when the game is more in its normal state of flow, when there are runs going back you know, between both teams, and kind of things are flowing. Very, very good. But in the fourth quarter, let's say under 10 minutes left, it's going to kind of become superstar ball, and that's just sort of how the NBA works. And Tatum and Brown just like... <sighs> Uh, just never been wild on it, you know. Just like I want, I wanna, I would love to be. Seems like a fun bandwagon to be on, but uh, I don't know. It's just hard, just hard. So I'm going with Denver, and I'm going with the Heat. Uh, those are my picks, kind of partway through this series. That is my kind of thoughts, feelings, analysis on the conference finals. Who knows? Maybe next week I'll do another episode because like normally we don't cover the NBA kind of like game to game here on this podcast. It's more of a like a larger picture, you know, analytics backed. But with the playoffs, especially late in the playoffs, it is, I think, uh, fitting to, you know, take some more time to break down these teams and players in more depth to sort of, you know, kind of suss out what I'm feeling from the two uh, last matchups going on here, but I got to get out of here because I got to finish, uh, got to finish up some work because I got to catch uh, a big chunk of this Celtics heat game. But uh, my name is Taylor. Again, if you would like to talk to me about basketball uh, at Taylor metrics on Twitter, and we will see you on the next episode of the basketball index podcast.